Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. I'm Mike Golick Jr. With me, as always, Brandon Newman, rocking and rolling. What's going on, B? Chilling, buddy. Chilling. I, I was going to, I don't know what I was going to say, bro or yeah, buddy. What, so I, yeah, I, was, I, you, I mixed the two with I the wasn't bready. sure if that was like a Brody, but it was definitely a you. It was Ooh. Brody, right? Yeah, Brody. It was Brody, but I like Brody. I'm chilling, Brody. Chilling. Bro, I mean, Brody might have possibility. I mean, we just Brody? made Brody a thing, so Brody might have a chance. Okay, yeah, we can make fetch. We can make fetch a thing. We can try and make fetch a thing as best we can. It's kind of what we do around here. Uh, we also get to talk to some cool people around here. We will do that today as well. Big time pod, Kevin Van Valkenburg, staff writer for ESPN, out in Tulsa, getting ready to cover the PGA Championship. Got some good stuff on Phil Mickelson's absence in this tournament, the very present Tiger Woods, couple of players to watch for if you're looking to make some money on this weekend. Tons of great stuff from Kevin, who is boots on the ground out in Oklahoma. We'll also get to some news out of the NFL that has been quiet for a while since one of the biggest signings of the offseason in Deshaun Watson, but the NFL finally taking a look on that and uh, what penalty may actually arise as the Browns get ready for this season and try and figure out who's going to be under center for them in week one and beyond. But Brandon, good God almighty, uh, the Miami Heat did that thing again. The Heat... Come out and get a 118-107 win in game one of this series. And Brandon, if you had just said that box score to somebody, knowing the Celtics came off an emotional win in game seven in a long series there, the Miami Heat were the more rested team coming into this one for the Celtics. Down Marcus Smart because of that midfoot injury. Down Al Horford because he was in the health and safety protocol. We know the Miami Heat were not whole either, but... All that being said, you might have expected this outcome. What you probably wouldn't have expected is the Celtics to go into halftime with an eight-point lead, look largely dominant through the beginning portion of the game, where I think the Heat started 0 for 8, 
And then to watch the Miami Heat go on a 22-2, to something in that range run to start the third quarter. Yep. It, Brandon, it was a total role reversal from one half to another for this team. And the Miami Heat did exactly what we talked about yesterday. They are continually fueled by people who are doubting them, who said, like me, that I thought the Celtics were the better team in this series, that I thought Jason Tatum was the biggest star in this series. And Jimmy Butler gave me a full fistful of my own words shoved back into my teeth yeah but with 41 points uh 17 of them from the charity stripe and he really didn't miss much it was insane i i've changed my tone and tune what you got to say what are you about to say well you say he had 41 points on 19 shots and he had no made threes in this game like his stat line is batshit bat on its own right here. He had 41, 5, and 5. Well, he actually had 41, 9, and 5. Brandon, in heat, in heat history, in the playoff games, players with the most 40 point, 5 rebound, 5 assist games in heat playoff history. Dwayne Wade has two such games. LeBron James has two such games. Jimmy Butler is now the active leader with three such games in Heat playoff history. That is what went on. And largely in the second half of this game, Stephen A. Smith and Jalen Rose called him out at halftime. And I don't know if Jimmy was listening in the locker room, but he responded. They all responded, to be honest with you, and they led by Jimmy Butler. I, and they did it the exact same way that the Celtics went up on them. I think at, at one point in time, the Celtics were up by 10, 50, uh, 54, 44, and 40 of those points for the Celtics was in the paint. I'm saying Celtics in seven now, but it's hard to pick against that wonderful Jimmy, that wonderful uh, Miami Heat team that doesn't even have Kyle Lowry. And really... I don't really think I, – I, I don't. I got to look at the stat line. But I, it doesn't feel like Bam had a huge presence in this game either. Well, no, I'll say this. Bam, while he didn't show up majorly in the uh, point column here, only 10 points on the game, him defensively in the second half was a major difference. I saw a lot of people griping about him being used more on the perimeter in the first half. When this game flipped for Miami, it was, I think, in part two things. One, I think the Celtics did legitimately get tired in this game. I think you saw that in the second half, right? Like, Yeah, definitely. They, they had Robert Williams, who was back out in this game, big man who was highly effective for them in the middle, but you even heard them talking about it on the broadcast. His wind wasn't there yet. He had been dealing with that knee injury last series and clearly looked gassed, and that only got worse as the game went along. Not having Al Horford in the middle of that team in that rotation affected them over the course of this, and they just, I think, wore down over the course of this game. But the other part was, and this is what we talked about the other day as well, Jason Tatum was that dude in the first half. He was creating everything for the Celtics team. You mentioned 42 points in the paint. It was off 17 assists in the first half for the Celtics. That offense was humming. And so the Heat in the second half just decided, we're going to gum this up at the start. And they met Jason Tatum with force every time he tried to drive and create for the Boston Celtics. And they never really adjusted to that. And maybe part of that was just legs and that sort of attention to detail that wanes when you start to get tired. But give that Heat defense credit. Bam Adebayo was a big part of that in the middle. But it, this is all the Jimmy Butler show. I saw Tom Haberstroh tweet this. Jimmy Butler 
has zero 40-point games in the regular season as a Miami Heat member and five in the postseason. He turned it on on offense. He led the charge on defense. This was this was a playoff Jimmy game. The, the, I mean, if you want to just boil this down, this was a playoff Jimmy game. Okay, it's two sides of the coin, though. You haven't seen, other than Michael Jordan, you haven't seen that this uh, in Damian Lillard at times during the playoffs, one player just really carry the team all the way to the chip. Well, right? I mean, LeBron. Le- okay, yes, yes, yes. The alien, the other the other world, like, yes. But Jimmy Butler, someone of his stature, someone of his status, someone who was taking last in the 2011, or last, uh, last pick of the first round in the 2011 uh, NFL draft, while Kyle, <laughs> well, Kyrie was number one. I just appreciate that you said NFL draft. I said NFL draft? I mean, Jimmy might – I mean, Jimmy's, like, pretty jacked. He probably – if anyone mentality and physique-wise <laughs> might have had a chance, it might have been Jimmy. I can't even I can't even say it. But, yes, so he's got that chip on his shoulder, and he really – but what is he famous – not what, not what is he famous for, but in the Twitter internet world, what is that meme of him looking like a wet towel, like, bent over because he was dead tired because he has done this multiple times. So – as much as I want to go and change my pick and put my money on the Heat after this after this game by Jimmy Butler, you realize he's got to run out of gas too, just like the Celtics did. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point that this kind of style has limitations. Now, we know for the Miami Heat this year, they've dealt with injury guys in and out of the lineup. And so now getting him back full time at this point, you know, he understands what kind of year, uh, what time of year it is. In that regard, I think it's a possibility. I think the greater possibility is this eventually levels out for Boston conditioning wise. Now, who knows if, if Marcus Smart can't come back in the near future here, if Al Horford is stuck in the health and safety protocol for a while, who knows how this swings. But I think especially once this series moves back to Boston, you're going to get this Boston team that gets a chance to get their legs back up under them. You saw in the first half. When that team had their full energy, now again, credit Spo, credit Jimmy and the Miami Heat for the adjustments they made in the second half, but in the first half, Boston looked like heads and tails the better basketball team. Some yep. of that was tough shot making around the rim, but it was still a lot of attempts around the rims. It was offense that looked incredibly coherent. Their sets were getting them good looks, and so... I think all of that stuff is still going to matter over the long course of this series versus, you know, the Miami Heat, who, again, it was a backloaded second-half performance from a player supernovaing the way Jimmy Butler did. And then you saw it. Home court, players like Max Strews fed off that, started yep. hitting deep from, uh, hitting from deep late. So I, I still give the benefit to Boston in this series, but Miami came out, came out and... I don't know, man. They fired a shot across the bow. I'm still kind of reeling from this game and just how impressive that second half performance was. Okay, so everybody talks about the bubble championship that the Lakers won and the fact that there's no fans there. And we all know how much of a factor fans play in the playoffs. We also know that the Miami Heat fans are famously tardy to the game, right? <laughs> just just straight up. And obviously the, the team played like that as well. But it's it seemed like... Once the audience got there, the Heat showed up and started and gave them a show. 
Yeah, apparent, apparently they are that dependent on DJ Khaled showing up with a pillow courtside. I don't think he was actually there for this one. I didn't see him on that one, but it's the same sort of like vibes situation here. That's what they need yes. to succeed. Vibes, 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 vibes. Vibes, vibes. But uh, no, incredibly impressive win for the Heat in game one. So you're joining me now on the Celtics in seven train. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I think, I don't know. There's not enough pieces that can have those big games unless Kyle Lowry comes back and, you know, has has a Kyle Lowry game. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know, man. I, I still have confidence in the Celtics in this series. I think Jason Tatum is going to probably catch some heat as the day goes on today for just what a disappearing act that was in the second half. Like, I was amazed. I kept looking up in the second half of this game, and I was like, why does Grant Williams feel like he's the one constantly initiating the Celtics' office right now? Maybe part of that is because I saw that mic'd up moment they played in, like, the third or fourth (laughs) quarter when Grant Williams is on the sideline imploring his team. He sounded like me at a blackjack table after somebody, like, stays on 13 against a dealer 10. Where he's like, we got to play the right, no matter what, we got to play the right way for the last five minutes. And he's going off to these dudes. And this is no disrespect. Grant Williams has done a lot of great things for the Celtics team in yep. his role over the course of this playoffs. We saw the Grant Williams game. We know what that was. Right. At the same time, I'm always one because as a former role player, I look at those moments and go, I don't know if Grant Williams is the guy everyone wants to hear from right now in that regard. Ooh, like, I, yes. I I don't know if he's the voice that they but, wanted to hear. Hey, we got to go out here and keep working, do our jobs, yada, 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 cliche, cliche. Yeah, but Marcus Smart isn't the one to do that, isn't the floor general. Well, Mar- Mar- I will say Marcus Smart did get in the huddle and start getting after those dudes in the yes. most Miami-looking shirt possible with like eight buttons undone. Uh, not not only shirt, it was a, it was a it might as well have been a romper, uh, a hip hop romper, if you if you want to call it. I, I, I tweeted it's called, it looked, it's called it's, fashion. It, yeah, it's called fashion. It's it very up. Migos Migos meets uh, Miami, but it just it just they just talked about the fact that the Boston Celtics had eight turnovers in the third quarter, and that was that was the beginning of the end for them. It was. It was absolutely the beginning of the end. And again, so much of the credit on that goes to the Heat defense forcing those turnovers. So they get it in game one. I'm still ready to stay the course with the Celtics and trust and believe with their legs under them. And if the Cavalry comes back, that the first half ends up being more of what we saw, much more so than the third quarter where the Heat had a 25-point differential that took them to this 118-107 win. Um, we got first game of Golden State and Dallas coming up tonight. Very similar vibe, albeit Luka got to rest the whole fourth quarter of that ass whooping against the Suns, so he might come in a little bit more rested, but Golden State got that done in six. They're going to roll in the rested team. They are going to roll in the more experienced team in this spot. Brandon, who do you like for game one? I I think you got to go with the Warriors. Um, I I just can't wait to see Luka cook and do his version of what Jimmy Butler has done, uh, especially in game one for the Eastern Conference Finals. But you got to you got to think that that Warriors team is self-scouting and realizing that, okay, we there's a lot of things that we can do better. Like Ryan Holland said earlier this week, they are not the Warriors of old and they know that now. And they got to come correct if they're going to beat Luca and and the Mavs. Let me not just put Luca. That that team is 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 ready at this point. No, you're right. But I, I mean, I think that's the way a lot of people are looking at it. Which is 
Luka goes out and overwhelmingly tilts in their favor. Uh, I'm going to go with you on this one. I think the Warriors take game one. You're at home at Oracle. You're coming off rest. And you're coming off a series where you got your nose bloodied in a big-time way. Memphis let them have it. And let's put it that way. If the lights don't go on now and this Golden State team just... We accused them of this. A lot of people did in game six or in game five of that series of coming out and thinking that Memphis is just going to roll over, that that was going to be done. They looked largely disinterested in that game. We know Golden State's got that club in their bag, but if it happens in this game, we're going to have to start to wonder if Golden State can ever really consistently enough touch that highest of highs from old to be able to get past in this series. Because I picked Dallas to win the series, but I think Golden State's going to take game one in this. So that'll be a ton of fun to watch. If it is any, listen, we can say what we want about the games over the weekend. That game last night delivered. It was not super close at any one juncture, but it had such compelling swings that that was more than entertaining. So awesome stuff from the association last night. Hopefully Luca and Steph give us more of that coming up tonight. Um, But Brandon, as we get ready, and we'll talk to Kevin Van Valkenburg in just a few here about what to look forward to in the PGA Championship this weekend. There's a lot of headlines on that. We talked about Phil Tiger feeling better physically than he did at the Masters. But Brandon, before we get to that, we do have news out of the world of the NFL, and it has been one of our least favorite stories to cover, I think, as a general sports media in quite some time. What continues to go on surrounding now Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson as we saw reports coming out that the NFL officials began direct meetings with Deshaun Watson on Tuesday in Texas as the league seeks to determine if he violated the personal conduct policy and if so, whether discipline should be imposed, uh, imposed, sources told ESPN's Ed Werder. Um, the meetings are believed to involve Watson and the NFL investigative team of Lisa Friel. Uh, she's a former New York prosecutor. She's heading up the investigation. And then just a reminder for everyone logistically, once that's done, former U.S. District Court Judge Sue Robinson is a disciplinary officer jointly apported by the NFL and the NFLPA. She'll ultimately be the one that decides if he violated the NFL's conduct policy because in the last collective bargaining agreement, they made that change where Roger Goodell will no longer be the quote-unquote independent arbitrator in these cases. So that's where it stands logistically, Brandon. This is also happening simultaneously while there's reports of Deshaun Watson taking the entire offense for the Cleveland Browns down to, I believe, the Bahamas to train this offseason leading up to OTAs. He's trying to, you know, do some team bonding camaraderie experience down there and get that group together to work out and be around each other. And it's just a reminder that Every headline that comes out about the Browns, every headline that comes out involving Deshaun Watson right now in this franchise is going to have a tinge of incredible discomfort for people that are still affected by this headline and understandably so. Yeah, honestly, it just makes me kind of sick. Obviously, him taking the whole crew down to uh, Mexico, not Mexico, the excuse me, the Bahamas, the islands, it just feels, it just feels... I mentioned to you earlier. I said it feels like uh, getting a new bike after you catch cheating on his uh, on your mom. Like it's it feels nasty. It feels uh, I don't know. I, I I put myself in in the position of those players and the people on that team. 
You got a generational talent who morally is accused of some really, really heinous things. And I just don't see how he can, he didn't, he didn't get indicted, but how, how can these accusations stacked up against him not warrant a pretty harsh penalty from the NFL? Well, and that's what this ultimately comes down to. Because from the player's perspective, it's always tough. We've seen instances of this for years of some guys, especially in the case of domestic violence instances, coming out and being pretty pointed about how they won't really associate with that player in the locker room outside of what they've got to do. But you and I both know locker rooms are a big place, you know, uh, 53-man roster plus now, you know, more practice squad guys. Everyone on that staff, it's a big enough room to where you can go in, handle your work, and get out of that building without interacting with someone too, too much if you want. Now, the quarterback complicates things some because like is evidenced in this trip, if you're an offensive skill player, you kind of have to be getting the reps in with this guy in order to fit into the offense. Timing and these things matter in these instances. And so it's difficult for the players, but we know football players and athletes in general are pretty good at siloing things, going out there and saying, Hey, my livelihood depends on me going and having the working relationship with this person. I, in a lot of instances for these players don't have the ability to necessarily defect because it affects the way I eat on this. The thing I always go back to is fans, people that are asked to digest this fans of the NFL fans of the Cleveland Browns, many of them who I know are conflicted and you brought it up. While he wasn't charged criminally in court, we know that and we saw as soon as that was the case, he was signed very soon after to the richest guaranteed contract in NFL history. It did not take long for the NFL to say once he was not going to go to jail, he was okay to play in this league or at least be signed in this league. I think what's got to happen now based on what we've seen in the past with cases like Ezekiel Elliott, with cases like Kareem Hunt, where you've seen guys suspended six, eight games who haven't been charged necessarily criminally, but falling under that conduct detrimental umbrella have Ray, been... Ray Rice. Ray, Ray, Ray Rice as well. And we know in Kareem and Hunt and Ray Rice's case, there was video evidence in those cases. And for a lot of people, that changed things here. But with Ezekiel Elliott, we're talking about a, a one allegation of domestic violence that it was at the heart of all of that. I just struggle to look at this and see how... 22 allegations that will now go into civil court don't land Deshaun Watson with missing at least a year of football. Like I could see the NFL very realistically coming out, suspending him for two years, knowing that the NFL PA on principle may have to come in and fight on his behalf and back that down to something closer to a year. But based mm. on, and Dan Lebitard talks about this all the time on the Dan Lebitard show, the NFL by attaching numerical value to the way that they come in and try and legislate morality in this league, put themselves in the position where it becomes comparative, where we look at right. one past instance and we look at what's going on right now and we do the numerical comparison. And a lot of times it hurts them more when it is instances of domestic violence or sexual assault or things in this nature, very serious legal ramifications off the field that end up having the same amount of suspension time as something you do on the field. In this instance, I still think it's going to come back to they're not going to be able to justify, and it's already going to be hard for the NFL 
to stare out at its fan base and say that we care about women that are watching this game, to say that we care about fans that might be made uncomfortable by the presence of this player on the field, that's already going to be a difficult sell because the NFL hasn't necessarily earned a ton of trust in that area. But I think they've still got to come out and make a strong statement on this as best they can. I mean, they can make all the statement they want, but the Browns made a statement when they made this guy the richest quarterback. Like, he reset the market. Like, this person who has these allegations against him, who is possibly a scumbag in how he treats and thinks about women, allegedly, just set the market and is the face of a, of a franchise in the NFL and is getting paid buku money. And my one question is, for a guy who likely will at, at least, at the very least, miss half the season, what's the benefit of going down to on vacation and building morale with this gentleman? Like, like or, or, that, that can't get that can't get worked out through over practice. That's that's my that's my thing. He's getting ready to prepare for a season that he might not be anywhere near. Yeah, but he's still going to be the face of this franchise at some point. And I can understand why he's going to try and come in right now and start like that that part of it, the trip while again unsavory isn't unsavory to me because of any of that. It's just because of what's at the heart of all of this. Like, I understand from a football perspective and a team-building perspective why you would do something like that, even if you don't believe you're going to be the one, even if he knows in his heart of hearts he's not going to be the one lining up under center week one. I still understand the move on all of that. What remains to be seen, because you're right, the winning machines in the NFL, the individual teams decided, hey, there was going to be a market for this guy. If the Browns didn't sign him, someone was going to because young generational talent at that position is a drug that these teams cannot ignore. And the Browns were just one that was desperate enough to go and make it look like this first and get out and do that. We know Deshaun had some say in that outcome based on what we had heard, but that was a part of the process. These teams make those decisions because these are giant winning machines that reward that and only that. The NFL is also a large profit-driven organization, but with what we've seen over really since Ray Rice, they had a very clear image problem when it came to this and they've selectively tried to respond. I don't think across the board they've always done a great job with this, but this is going to be another one of those spots where, again, I know they weren't criminal charges and we will wait to see what happens in civil court with all this, but if you're the NFL, you have punished people for far fewer in volume allegations. I won't say less, more, better, worse, because mm -hmm. we're not here to judge the severity of heinous acts and heinous accusations like we've seen here, but the sheer volume has always been such an overwhelming part of that. And it feels like the NFL is not going to be able to ignore that. And I saw someone point this out on Twitter. It will be interesting, especially in light of what we just saw Rob Manfred do to Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball. Right. Hand down the largest suspension under the domestic violence policy in the history of that sport. I, that, that leads me right to my point of... I don't think there's any punishment that can come down that's going to make me feel good about any of it. Like it just the whole thing feels nasty and it's 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 a tough reality to live in that, that this this game and this league that I love so much is just like just pushing all their chips in 
on on this. I don't, you know, it, well, it, it it is what it is, and, it, and it's it's not it's not a surprise either. It's just you just no. would uh, imagine that at this stage, and not to say like oh woke culture, all this other stuff like that. I just I just think that people could probably use discernment and and uh and 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 common sense and how to handle something like this. And I think everyone has everyone has has messed has messed it up every well, chance they got dropped the ball. I I just think that. Because we always hear from the second chance crowd, and and no one, you know, begrudges second chances yes. when they are earned, when there is work done. Like God, I feel like I've been a broken record of having to like qualify that every time yeah. we have these conversations. But through all of this, you pointed it out: the guy was rewarded with the richest guaranteed deal in NFL history. It wasn't just. He was allowed to come back and have an opportunity to earn a living. It was no, in the middle of all of this, he was given that deal. That's why there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable because of the message that that sends. And so the message potentially here on the other side won't counterbalance that because again, this isn't some zero sum game where we seek that balance. To your point, the damage is already pretty done here. And this is kind of what, you know, in a weird way, similar to what we've been talking about in golf with Phil Mickelson and the Saudi league and sports washing, this term that everyone's become acquainted with, like the NFL and the Cleveland Browns, especially in this spot are counting on the fact that everyone in this country is so addicted to football and that the game matters and is such a part of everyone's ritual that eventually with enough touchdowns and wins, potentially if the Cleveland Browns have this go according to plan for them, this is going to be something that like so many acts and so many accusations before it fades into the background as the balls get kicked off and the whistles start blowing. That's the unfortunate reality of this situation. And again, this isn't about me declaring guilt or innocence in anything. That wasn't what it was about. It's hard. It's rarely ever been about that because those are things decided in a court of law. Those are things that are talking about someone's freedom, whether or not they will spend time behind bars or right. maintain their freedom outside of buildings. Like that's what guilt or innocence mm, means mm, in this. Mm, mm, mm. The rest of it is we know an incredibly nuanced conversation, but it's one that the NFL as a league has mishandled far too many times before. And so we understand why there is so little trust and so little hope in how this situation gets handled now. So that's, uh, again, it's, it's always a difficult and uncomfortable story to talk about, but yeah, it is. Let me just jump in and say, I, I, as much as I strongly as I feel about this whole situation, I don't think that any of us, should be in a position talking about what people jobs that people should or shouldn't have. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of messed up people that have made some bad decisions in their past that have really, really great jobs. You know what I mean? And, and and a lot of times we need those people to have those great jobs. And I'm not saying that this is the case for, for Deshaun Watson. I'm just saying I don't think that as 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 strongly as I feel about what the accusations against him, I still am not in the camp that say he shouldn't be allowed to to do the thing that someone's going to be willing to pay him to do. Yeah, I I, I guess it's always going to be me more looking at the system on the other side and saying, man, it's just 
kind of disheartening that so many people were so willing to step right up and pay him not just a little bit but a lot of bit like again it is the most important position in football it's the CEO and leadership spot of the team so many parts of this are different from the way it is handled in other spots and other positions and magnifies every part of the conversation that we've had about this so it's a very very dense topic we, we try and do it justice. That's why this ends up going on for a long time every time we talk about it because you do want to pick your words carefully talking about this. You do want to be sensitive to people that are going to be affected about this in a number of ways, and hopefully we can accomplish that. Let's take a breath. Let's take a break. And coming up here in just a minute, we'll talk to Kevin Van Valkenburg, ESPN staff writer, and look forward towards this upcoming weekend in golf with the PGA Championship. The NBA playoff action is non-stop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and then boom, you have a shot and an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code GOJO and bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, as we look forward towards the PGA Championship getting started tomorrow, let's head out to Tulsa, Oklahoma and talk to our friend Kevin Van Valkenburg, senior writer at ESPN. And uh, Kevin, is this as hot as everyone is talking about it being this week already there? I'll tell you what, when you stand still, it is very hot. Uh, when you uh, get out in the breeze a little bit, it's a little cooler. Um, I put my phone up to my ear for a few minutes uh, the other day, and when I like let go, my, my shirt sleeve was soaked with sweat. So uh, oh I would goodness. rate it in, a, in an Oklahoma hot, probably about a six and six and a half, no, maybe. Uh, so. Respect on that, and you have found yourself at the sweatiest podcast known to man, so... That is a well. That's a welcome sight around here, and a feeling that we know very well. But um, anytime you can deliver a sweaty anecdote on the sweatiest podcast, you feel like you're winning. <laughs> exactly, girth podcast supports sweating on your cell phone. But um, Kevin, there's so much to get into with the PGA uh, heading into this weekend. But we may as well start at one of the biggest headlines in golf. You and Mark Schleyball wrote about this earlier in the week. There is a notable absence in the defending champion of this tournament in Phil Mickelson after the controversial comments that he made about the Saudi Arabian back live tour earlier this year. You guys wrote about some of what's gone into this, but just on the surface, are, are you actually surprised that he didn't show for this? I am a little surprised. I thought ultimately that he would come. He's never really uh, shied away from what I like to think of as his ability to wiggle out of trouble that he has gotten himself into. And this is true in life as much as it is uh, true on the golf course. I thought that he would sort of embrace the kind of circus of it all and um, 
ultimately, like, I think it was, everyone was a little surprised and, and kind of a little sad too, that, you know, look, however you felt about Phil throughout his career last year was a pretty cool moment. Like the idea of someone who's like a, a dad's age, not like a, even like a young dad, like a dad with kids in college winning the freaking PGA championship was surreal. And so for him not to be here, you know, I think Rory kind of put it best and some things like it could be his last big moment in golf to not have the chance to soak that in a little bit as in the year after to, to celebrate him, you know, they do have like a PGA champions dinner that, you know, he could sort of be, you know, the, the master of ceremonies of, and for him to not want to be involved in all that, it's really strikes me as sad and almost a little worrisome of like, you got so much going on or you're, you feel like you've dug yourself into such a bad place that you had to willingly decide to not be here. It's wherever you felt about him, it's just a bummer. It, it was a cool moment in golf last year. And I think just seeing him, I don't, I don't think his game would have been in any shape to compete if he did. And, and so maybe there's a little bit part of him that didn't want to show up and shoot in the eighties a couple of times, but he's, that's never really scared him before. So it doesn't really make, a ton of sense to me. And to that, I guess to that extent, because you're right, this is, and it's been radio silence. So all we're doing is kind of reading tea leaves on this. And you and Mark brought up, you know, the biography that's set to come out, another book about Phil or involving Phil that may be coming out not long after that. Like, was this indicative to you that he's worried about some other things that there might be, you know, still more coming down the pipeline that may affect Phil in the public sphere? Yeah, I mean, the the Shipnuck book uh, is basically it's out today, uh, and I've read a copy of it, and you know, it's a very fair book. There isn't anything in there that hasn't already been out that is going to feel in damning in any way or, or scandalous. It's kind of a lot of you come away reading the book and you think like, man, Phil's a funny guy, and Phil like he does some like dumb stuff, but Phil's kind of just a, a good hang. Uh, and that's kind of reflected throughout the book. The other book that he's a little bit more nervous about is a book that uh, the sort of infamous gambler, Billy Walters, is writing, uh, not just about Phil specifically, but there's certainly, you know, likely to be a lot of Phil stuff in there about their kind of wild times and the big wagers that they place together. And, you know, no one knows exactly what's going to be in that, uh, unlike, you know, Alan had to do a lot of reporting and did a really a lot of great reporting and, and, so, you know, Billy lived a lot of the stuff with Phil. So there's really nothing that he couldn't hold back if he wanted to. Uh, and so, you know, I think when we were just trying to do this week is just kind of show a little bit uh, in our story the that it wasn't just the book that sort of kind of made Phil, that pointed out that Phil was kind of on this weird path. I mean, everyone thought it was awesome when he joined Twitter in 2018 and it was fun. He, he really loved sort of getting in and doing the dumb stuff on the bird app like the rest of us. But he also just really couldn't help but doubling down on a lot of stuff, whether it was like questioning COVID stuff and, and attacking people who he was mad at and blocking all kinds of people who had been longtime supporters just for kind of, you know, disagreeing with him on stuff. And I'm one of the few people who wasn't blocked by Phil Mickelson in golf media, Twitter. So congrats. <laughs> Yeah, Phil, if, you you're, if you're listening, yeah, Phil, if you're listening, please give some amnesty to to some of our friends. They didn't mean uh, mean mean things about you, but 
you know, I, I think if you look over the course of the last year, he's really, he's behaved like someone who felt like he just didn't have to answer to anyone. And I think it isn't so much when you examine what he said about the live tour stuff that, that I think a lot of people sort of maybe miss a larger point of, well, you know, was Phil said really that bad or who cares about this and that and the other people have aligned themselves with Saudi Arabia. What, what I think people don't like about it is it feels sort of revealed himself to be a person who sort of is duplicitous, who plays both sides against one another, who acts one way, says one thing, and then acts another way in private. And that mm -hmm. struck people as like, yes, that speaks to what's bothered me about Phil Nicholson for a long mm -hmm. time. The people who were sort of conditioned to not like him. And so that's why a lot of sort of anger kind of uh, came out uh, against him. And, you know, I honestly, I really think that Phil, if he wanted, could basically get in front of a microphone and be like, you know what, guys, I messed up. Boy, I just, I said some dumb shit. And I don't know how I could really sort of fix it, but, you know, I'm going to try to work on it. And I'm here, I'll answer whatever questions you want. Uh, but, you know, I really would just like to play golf again and, you know, appreciate the people who supported me and the people who don't like, Hey, appreciate them too. Cause they've been part of like the ride and uh, it just, just isn't that hard. And it just doesn't seem to me like it's such a, a great PR wall that you have to climb, but for whatever reason, and maybe there's other stuff that we just don't know about going on in his personal life that he I mean, some of it, he kind of alluded to in a statement of uh, working on being a better man, you know, what that's code for, I can't say, but um, maybe that there's just bigger stuff that's going on. And hopefully I'd like to see him back someday. I really it would make me sad if he was never a captain of a Ryder Cup team because I think that role was sort of one that he was born for. I, with him out of the mix, where I love the the drama that gets brought into golf and the players and everyone hating on Bryce DeChambeau. Like, where is the void going to be filled when it comes to the narratives going into the PGA Championship with Phil Mickelson not playing? I mean, I think you, you got to start with Tiger because, uh, you know, uh, like Roy McIlroy or Jordan Spieth could win the PGA Championship and within the world of golf, it would be a huge story. Tiger Woods could win the PGA Championship. It would be one of the biggest stories ever in sports. A guy who almost had his leg amputated, you know, a year later comes back to win a major. So what we'll see from Tiger, I don't know. I mean, Tiger won here, uh, won a U.S. Open here. And, uh, or excuse me, won the PJ championship here. They held the US Open here, but Tiger won the PJ when it was here in 07. You know, I, I think we'll see Tiger play probably a little better than he played at Augusta. It's still going to be a long slog over four days. And uh, I'm not sure that, you know, he'll have the stamina and energy to sort of play great all that time. But, you know, one thing I think is, is undeniable is that everywhere, every time Tiger tees it up, there are some people there who've been dreaming their whole lives about seeing Tiger Woods. And so there's this magnetism that still kind of surrounds him of like, God, I really want to see Tiger. It's so important to me. It's been such an important part of my connection to golf. And so, you know, he's paired tomorrow with Roy McIlroy and Jordan Spieth, which is just a really fun, I mean, it's going to be, I don't know who, there's going to be pairings out there with no one watching them because so many people are going to be, you know, <laughs> surrounding those three. And it's, you know, it's a, just a fun kind of generational thing of like, here's, 
you know, probably the two best players, at least in terms of winning majors, to come along after Tiger. And uh, Bruce, Brooks Koepka might argue with that. But uh, and, and then here's the sort of the king of the sport, you know, the guy, one of the, the greats of all time, if not the GOAT. And it's just fun to watch the way that he thinks his way around the golf course now instead of overpowering it, instead of doing everything right. Uh, it's golf so interesting. It's like watching an old point guard who can't, you know, jump. You know, he's posting guys up or he's boxing guys out, stepping on their foot. Like that's the equivalent of Tiger now is he's figuring out different ways to do it. And I love that. I've never been one of these people who was like, oh, it's so sad when Jordan played for the Wizards. I was like, no, that was so awesome to just watch him do it in different ways. That's magic to me. It's like the guy at a, an old pickup game who pump fakes 11 times and then hits a fadeaway. That's Tiger Woods. In some ways, that's when you're getting by on guile as opposed to talent. That's even more fascinating to me. So that no, I would start with that being the, the sort of most compelling storyline, Brad. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I watched one of that follow up real quick. He famously had uh, shot the sixty two and a half in in two thousand seven at Southern Hills. With that pairing, is it? I just feel like the competition start riling up. Is there any chance that anyone, anyone, shoots a, uh, has a round that low uh, this weekend? I mean, you know, there's so many guys who are so good, so young on tour now. Like in theory, it's possible. What's true about the the course now is it's dramatically different than it was in 2007. They did a whole kind of um, redesign. Gil Hands, who's sort of a famous kind of like redesign doctor, he came in and completely changed the course back to its sort of original uh, kind of intent of the some famous designer, Perry Maxwell. And so, you know, the hope is that uh, it plays sort of more true to its original intentions. It's it's fun to sort of look at the way some of the changes are that it's, I would say it's going to be really hard to shoot a low score every day. A couple of the tournaments they've had here, you know, with the senior PGA and the, I think the big 12 championship and some of the, some of those sort of players, guys are having trouble kind of shooting super low scores because when you miss five feet to where you think your target is, the ball is going to run like 30 feet away, you know, 30, 30 yards away up, down the green complexes. And so if someone who's going to win here is going to have to have like a super complete game and going to have to chip really well and going to have to make some kind of steely putts. Um, but, you know, we've never, we've only had one 62 in history shot in a major. Brandon Grace did it uh, in 2017, the Burkdale, I believe. And so, you know, I, it's, that was someone people thought for a long time that like there was a, like a magic lid on the cup when anyone was sort of break. Cause that, you know, Tiger should have made that putt and like should have held that record right for years. He would be the super deserving person to hear it, but it was like, no one could do it. No one could finally find a way to break it. And then on a really easy day, like Brandon Grace of all people did it. So <laughs> it would be neat if like a Rory or, you know, even a Scotty Scheffler or John Rom did it. Uh, but I, I would say very unlikely. Yeah, is there any advantage to the fact that Rory hasn't been out to this course before? I saw you pointed out, and it was very funny looking through Twitter, that Rory got his first look at this course by watching highlights on YouTube. Brooke Kep Brooks Kepka was going back and looking at his old putting stroke on YouTube. This is so foreign to me because as a football player, we film everything and have all that in-house. Is this what golfers are relegated to, just going online like the rest of us? I think so. It's like, there's no one, it's one of the funny things about golf is like, there's so many different sort of organizations, right? So we have the PGA tour, 
which is where, you know, the main week to week stuff happens. And the PGA of America, which is like teaching pros, but also they've had this championship for whatever years. It's different than the PGA Tour. Then you have the Masters and you have USGA. And then you have the RNA, which runs the, the Open Championship. So there isn't one central place to like go and look and find all of your sort of past highlights, right? You have to, and like YouTube ends up being the place where a lot of them end up doing it. So it's, that's where I, it makes me laugh of like, they're just like us. Like they have to kind of just fire it up. And so I was kind of joking with like, I wonder like what the next video on the Brooks Kepka watching himself on, on USGA is like a weightlifting video. Is it like a, a Mick Ultra ad? Is it, you know, so, you know, Brooks is, is a fascinating kind of person to bring up too, because if you look at his last 10 years as of his career, nobody's been a better player in the PGA championship than him. It's just a style that fits him, like make some birdies, uh, but don't have to make like, you know, 30 birdies over the week and play disciplined golf, but also be able to recover and, you know, some rough, but not the most penalizing rough, like whatever that is about the PGA championship and the way the setups have been, it's, Brooks Kepka is a great sort of guy to go after it. So like, I don't know if you're a betting person and you look and see Brooks has only finished outside the top 15 in the PGA championship, like once in the last, you know, 10 years, I think, or maybe it's twice in the last 10 years. That's a pretty good series. If you could pick some money on him to get in the top five, I think you'd do okay. Well, I mean, considering that this is a podcast under the DraftKings umbrella and everyone looks out here right now, it's the usual suspects as far as the favorites near the top of the board. Scotty Scheffler, Rory and Spieth, John Rahm and company up there. Is there one guy maybe in or even outside of that bunch that you're most excited to watch at this course that you think has a legit chance of holding the Wanamaker when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think Cameron Smith. I mean, I, I look on DraftKings here and he's, you know, plus 2200 like that still seems like a, a pretty good value to me a, a lot better than sky shopper i mean cam smith like is has such a good short game and is such a good putter uh he all he has to do is kind of drive it okay to be uh in it you know he was he won the the players championship this year which is sort of a course like this that gonna require a lot of precision like if you're really dying for like a long long shot like harry higgs uh who is in this PGA championship because he finished like in the top five of last year's PGA championship. I, I think he's like plus 40,000. Uh, yeah. Look at that. So that's like, uh, like, Hey, I'm going to put down 10 bucks here on this and just, you know, enjoy it. Harry Higgs is like one of the funnest people in golf. Uh, I like to sort of say he's my spirit animal, both like uh, physically and sort of uh, golfing wise. Cause he's just a, big dude like wears the shirt collars a wide open big v you know half half down the the neck uh really like if, if you could bet and if you could burn 10 bucks on anybody and, and be the happiest person ever if you want to i would i would throw it on harry higgs this week. okay now i gotta go to your twitter because you tweeted something that was amazing and i'm just gonna read it back for everyone listening Tiger said back in 2007 in the PGA Championship when it was 107 degrees, he asked John Daly how many waters he drank during the round. Daly told him he didn't have any water. He drank about 12 Diet Cokes. You came back and, uh, you came back and said it was 13, just for fact-checking sake. Yes. I'm bringing that up specifically because I feel like John Daly is my spirit animal when it comes to golf, right? That's, that's a dangerous spirit animal. Obviously so. Obviously so. You know, love me some... Okay. Anyways, uh, but <laughs> who do you say is on the tour right now? Or who's 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 going to be out there this weekend that is close 
to a John Daly, like, you know, us football players, us eaters, you know, I'm just looking forward to the hot dog at the turn, you know, like who, who, who's, who's one of those guys that, that we can root for the big guys, the, the guys in the trenches can root for. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely Harry Higgs. I think Harry Higgs is probably the closest. He certainly handles his, his business a little bit more uh, professional. Um, and just in terms of like, you know, care, not attitude. Uh, I'm trying to think like, I mean, there's a Kevin Kisner is like sort of a, a fun guy to, you know, who um, to follow. I mean, he sort of, you know, drinks on the course, not like obviously in the PJ championship, but like in general, <laughs> you know, he's done a lot of fun videos with the Barcelona guys. Um, he's someone who I think would be a really enjoyable uh, PJ championship. If you could somehow combine like the, the, give no F's attitude of Kevin Kisner with like the body type of Harry gigs. That would probably be the closest thing we could get to like a modern day John Daly. Yeah. That's the, that's the tiger woods create a golfer that we've all got to work on and find somewhere in there. But uh, <laughs> Kevin, before we let you go and, and this has been awesome. I, I did want to hit on one more guy just because I know you wrote about him and because he has been one of the most colorful figures in golf in the last decade. And I mean that quite literally, if you've seen any of the outfits that he's worn, but what's happened with Ricky Fowler, because we've seen a pretty precipitous fall for him in the world golf rankings, just in general, the way that he's shown up on the tour. What did you find when you looked into this has really gone wrong for him? Yeah, you know, he for a long time was one of the best putters in the world. And normally that's not a uh, skill that deserts you. Uh, and it has kind of for Ricky. He he used to be really good at um, not making double bogeys. Uh, he's much worse at that. Uh, even though, like, he is not the biggest guy, he could always hit it pretty far, certainly for his size. Uh, so length is never an issue, but he's missing – way more with driver his approach game is not as good it's been kind of just a, a mess in terms of not doing anything great anymore and you know why that happens is hard to say a lot of golfers go through like serious slumps we just saw jordan spieth kind of essentially emerge from one uh where he fell like ricky did you know down around the outside the top 100 in the world and it took him almost two years to kind of find his way back to where, you know, he won this year. He finished second last week. I think a lot of people are sort of picking him as a dark horse. So I, I would hope that that is still a realm of possibility for Ricky, but, you know, talking to him a little bit for the, the piece that I wrote, like he's searching, like he's looking at old swings that, you know, for a long time people thought, Oh, Ricky, if he could ever just like get rid of this kind of weird action that he had, Butch Harmon was going to help him with that tiger's old coach he could be great. He could win majors and he came really close. Like in 2014, he finished in the top five in all five majors, which only Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods had done before. Speed did it a couple years later after that, but that's four guys in the history of golf in one year. who've only ever. And so everyone thought Ricky was so close for so long. And then like, he didn't get there. And just, I think part of the weird thing about golf is like people just keep tinkering, right? Like if they don't, if they don't get through the, the hump, you're like, all right, we'll have to fix something. And whereas like, a, you know, if you're a basketball player or a football player, you're like, well, you know, it'll break through. I just got to keep doing what I do well and, not, you know, keep getting stronger. But in golf, there's a lot of people who kind of end up almost getting lost by rewriting the DNA of their swing. And I think that that probably happened a little bit to Ricky. And his coach kind of confirmed as much as like, 
sometimes what made you great at 11 is still how your body wants to swing a golf club. Mm -hmm. And so Ricky's still trying to find some pieces of that, uh, that when he was sort of carefree and could swing without sort of overthinking everything and combine it with maybe some little bit more consistency. What's sad, I think is that, you know, this is Ricky's played a little bit better. He finished in the top, I think 25 at the Wells Fargo, which was his best finish in a long time. He's only really here in the PGA championship because he had a good finish in last year's PGA championship. And after this, it's unlikely right now that he'll be in the U.S. Open. It's unlikely that he'll be in the British Open. He'd missed the Masters the last two years. It's just really sort of like, well, gosh, like it's a big hill to climb to get back to where you were. And there's now this talk of like, well, is Ricky thinking about going to play in the Live Golf Tour? You know, they would love to have him. I'm sure they'd throw an enormous amount of money in to get that instant credibility because it's if this is not like Lee Westwood or Ian Poulter or whatever. This is someone who has a huge, massive appeal to a different demographic. And, you know, it would be sad, I think, if Ricky, you know, never got the chance to sort of figure it out on the PGA Tour because he's been such a part of the narrative of the PGA Tour for a long time. And gosh, you know, I've seen him on so many like mortgage commercials and insurance commercials. You can't yeah. need the money, right? Like no one has made more money <laughs> off the course than this dude other than Phil or Tiger. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I still hope that like he, one of the things that's interesting, I think, about Ricky is he's literally like one of the nicest people on tour. He doesn't give you a lot, but you will really you could not find another person on tour who said a bad thing about Ricky because he's like such a genuinely like nice, pleasant, you know, polite guy. And it, no one really dislikes him at all. And that's rare when someone's gotten a lot more accolades than their sort of resume probably deserves, but he's always good about celebrating others and showing up for them and being like, Hey, I'm so proud of you. Great job. You know, it's so fun to watch you, you know, win. And I, I, you know, just seems like he was raised kind of right in that sort of, I think that's in the piece like that Ted Lasso kindness is cool kind of way. Uh, so it would be, I I'm still rooting for Rick. I think it'd be a fun story if he kind of found his way back. Yeah. I, I think for anyone tuning in this weekend, that could be a very easy guy to root for and hope things go right as they get ready to tee him off on Thursday. Shout out to your uh, Halloween costume, by the way. I, I, did, I did some searching through your Instagram, so Ted Lasso, <laughs> Ted Lasso, and your and your and your wife was Danny. Uh, <laughs> what's his last name? The, My wife was Danny Ross. That's that's where we decided that we were. You no, know, there's a lot of Ted Lasso costumes out there, but there wasn't a lot of Ted and Danny Rojas. My wife is, uh, is Latina, and so it made it culturally appropriate to uh, <laughs> to do that. So. There we go. Everyone stays in bounds on the Halloween costume and gets a good laugh out of it. It is possible, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It is possible. Uh, guys, check him out at ESPN.com. Does a great job, uh, and we'll be out covering in Tulsa the PGA Championship this weekend. Kevin, we appreciate the time, man, really. You bet, guys. Anytime. Awesome stuff from Kevin. Very much looking forward to the PGA Championship coming up. I, I, I know we touched on it a little bit with him, but I, I did think it was interesting that on Tuesday when Tiger had media availability, he did actually talk about what was going on with Phil and Phil not being there. And really, it, that was always a relationship that we knew was a little bit cantankerous. Obviously, we had the match later on, and so more and more people felt like as time went on and they got older, maybe some of the normal animosity of the rivalry subsided. But Tiger made it pretty clear in 
kind of distanced himself because we had seen a number of golfers say they were bummed Phil wasn't there. They missed him. That was kind of, they, they led with kindness. And Tiger made it pretty clear that he thought his stance on the PGA just differed completely from Phil's and the way that he saw golf's governing body. He talked about how much you know, legacy mattered to him and how much being involved in the PGA Tour and playing in the, um, in the, um, in the uh, championships on that tour and, and being a part of the majors mattered to him long term. It's understandable and it makes a lot of logical sense for a guy in Tiger whose journey and you know attempt to try and catch Jack Nicholas has been such a part of the narrative of him for years now. But yeah. I, I thought it was very candid from Tiger Woods just drawing a line in the sand like, no, I do not stand with the way that Phil has viewed any of this as we've seen so many people in a lot of avenues of golf coming out and sort of either declaring their fealty to the PGA or in a lot of cases leaving the door open for this saudi back Live League. It's like we talked about yesterday. Like This is a real relationship, real beef, uh, a, a real competition. And I think they're both have been through so much and are so seasoned in the game that they're not holding their tongue anymore, uh, especially not Tiger Woods and all he's been through. He's like, I'm here, and I think everyone who matters in golf should be here, and I want to be Phil. It's like when uh, – have you watched The Winning Time uh, on HBO? Magic won his first championship not against Bird, and it it didn't mean as much to him. So I, I think it, it would mean a lot to Tiger to win – a PG, this PGA championship, regardless, it would mean that much more if, if Phil was on the ticket. Yeah, no, Kevin was exactly right. If Tiger wins this tournament, it is one of the greatest stories in sports history. Full stop. So it will always mean a lot. That being said, Brandon, we have plenty to look forward to. That all kicks off tomorrow in Tulsa. Uh-oh. In the meantime, why don't we get to this, that, and the third? Yes. I know, it sneaks up on you every day. It really, really does. I can say genuinely though, Brandon, this one snuck up on me headline-wise. We didn't get to this early in the week, but we saw a tweet from former wide receiver in the NFL, Antonio Brown, yes, tweeting out, Ooh. just want to retire a Steeler. Not play, just retire, so we're clear. Brandon, where are you at on the notion of Antonio Brown getting the chance to retire a Steeler? Well, I wanted to first start with the fact that you called him former wide receiver because the last time we heard Antonio Brown's name, he was wondering why nobody was picking up for an NFL team. Is that fair to say? That he, he, he in his mind, he still thinks that he's a hot ticket wide receiver item in the NFL. Well, yeah, he thinks he should be. I mean, we heard him go on every podcast under the sun and basically try and say that he was the best receiver on that team that had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin at the height of their powers on it. And none of us really believed him. We knew that he was an important contributor to that team, but Lord, you had the one team with the one quarterback that seemed compelled to take a chance on you finally decide that they did not want to deal with what you had going on after that sideline outburst and him jogging off the field shirtless. So I just didn't see a lot of buyers in his future. Yes, thank you. Okay, Uh, moving on to the question you actually asked. I think it's asinine. I think it's indicative of the way Antonio Brown thinks to think that he could leave the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mike Tomlin the way he did and dictate his his terms 
period, in the future. It's been a disaster since he left the Pittsburgh Steelers. You, you can call the Super Bowl a, a highlight, and I'm sure he does as well, but it still was nasty and in the muck, in my opinion, and he was just another extra weapon for Tom Brady and obviously worked in that Super Bowl. But let's be real. Antonio Brown should have never forced his way out of Pittsburgh in the first place, and for him to turn around after jumping around the league uh, four different teams later and says, you know what, that team that drafted me, they're all right. No, miss me with it. I'll say this. Ramon Foster was with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a long time. He was a guy I got to know during rookie camp there when I was in training camp with them. A guy I've stayed in touch with, does an awesome job on radio in Nashville, and I kind of always looked to him on stuff around that locker room because he was there when AB was there, when a lot of this was going on. He was the guy in real time. I was texting, kind of asking, you know, his perspective on these things, both when he was a player and once he had retired and gotten into the media. And Ramon was one of the first people I saw out online saying, we say it all the time, once a stealer, always a stealer. And so why shouldn't this guy have that opportunity? And so... Mm. It's one of those things we understand that franchise and especially that core that they had for a long time around Ben Roethlisberger, him, Marquise Pouncey, that group that was a part of so much of the winning early on in Ben and Mike Tomlin's tenure in Pittsburgh. I, I, it seems to be a different bond around there and there's an understanding that Antonio Brown was a phenomenal player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The ESP that him and uh, Ben Roethlisberger had when the play broke down was one of the more special and unique connections ever. And so if there are guys inside that organization that are down with it and the Steelers would accommodate that, the Rooney family would accommodate that, I don't really have a huge beef with it. You know, retiring is something like that. Antonio Brown would already have a very complicated Hall of Fame case if that's what this is aimed at. Because in a lot of instances, we see that you sign these so that you can retire for that team, usually go and make your quest for the Hall in that team. Like, we know numbers wise, he'd have a case, but we also know the Hall doesn't always necessarily reward that kind of stuff. And wide receivers already a position that generally tends to take time. Yeah, I like that. I like that take that it's, you know, it's it may be the Steeler way. And uh, shouts out to Willie Cologne, who, uh, a buddy of mine who was under task quite a bit w- with Antonio Brown and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers with them for that, uh, that Super Bowl win in uh, 2011. But I just can't see Mike Tomlin sitting at a press conference answering questions about Antonio Brown retiring as a Steeler. I just don't see it happening. I, you know what? I can tell I you this. If there's anyone I can see managing that press conference, it is Mike Tomlin. Because no one manages okay. a press conference as well as Mike Tomlin. No <laughs> one walks in and commands that room or a situation as much as Mike Tomlin. And as much as that was probably taxing, especially towards the end on him, I feel like that my guy might be the one to make it work. I don't doubt Mike T in those settings. So... We'll have some time, I'm sure, before that becomes reality that we've got to worry about. The same can be said for this little internet headline we saw making the rounds yesterday. According to front office sports, Lionel uh, Lionel Messi, according to Alex Kandal of front office sports, was reportedly set to join Inter-Miami in 2023 in the MLS after his contract expires with Paris Saint-Germain. 
He would also purchase a 35% share of Inter-Miami, which would be worth more than $200 million. Now, we saw very quickly Messi's agent tell a Parisian source through, you know, we're getting this through TMZ. I don't know, uh, La, <laughs> La Pellicienne. That's my bootleg French. He gave them the quote, Messi's agent, that quote, Leo has not yet decided on his future, and if Leo Messi is crossed paths with David Beckham in the last few hours, David Beckham, who has acquired an even larger ownership shake in Inter-Miami since he came on board with the team. It is only as a part of PSG's stay in Doha where the former English midfielder plays a role as ambassador for the next World Cup in Qatar. So... Remember, Beckham starred for Manchester United. He was one of the players that came over to the LA Galaxy in the MLS with the likes, you know, Wayne Rooney, we've seen do that. Thierry Henry, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was the most recent export over to Major League Soccer. But Messi's, you know, arguably one of the greatest players we've ever seen. You know, it, it, it just would be such a different tone and tenor. And so they came out and denied that pretty quick, Brandon. But them leading with Leo has not yet decided on his future really didn't sound like it was shutting the door completely on this. Well, yeah, it, it feels a lot like the Tom Brady thing. You know, he's, 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 he's going to finish out his career at PSG. And then afterwards, he's probably going to move to Florida and continue to play football. Except for the American football, he's going to play the real football. Because guess what? Who else is uh, Messi's agent? His father. And we know, thanks to Tom Brady's father, they be capping left and right in the media talking about what their son is and isn't thinking about. Listen, the America is going to get Messi at the end of the day. That's all, I, that's all I'm going to say. It's in Miami. This is the future we're talking about. Like, I, 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 am, I am seeing fire under all of this smoke. And I can't wait. I can't wait. This would really be an interesting one too, because for as we've talked about the growth of soccer in this country and how, you know, homegrown stars are what people always talk about. That's why Christian Pulisic and what he's done over at Chelsea and what, you know, he will hopefully do for the men's national team has always felt Mm. so important as we've sent players over there. But for as engaging as Latan Ibrahimovic was coming over, playing soccer in Los Angeles, another major media hub in this country, there's just a different gravity around the name like Messi, where between him and Cristiano Ronaldo, we've talked about them back and forth as the best player of the world for what feels like the entirety of my adult life watching sports. And so I, I just think that if it did come to fruition, would be an interesting way to try and continue to talk about the growth of that sport in this country because getting a chance to see up close in person in a destination city like Miami that we saw just hosted the Super Bowl of Formula One, all these things would be a very interesting part. Like I'd probably be more interested in going to see an MLS match than I am currently right now. I know for places that have teams in town, there's already been a ton of buzz They're well-attended sporting events here. The local communities tend to really rally around them, but this would really light a fire under the entire league's ass in a way that none of these former expats really would have. In my opinion, playing in America, if you are a professional soccer player like Messi, it's kind of like retirement. Or it's kind of like playing overseas if you're... Yeah, or if you're playing overseas if you're in America or, you know, you got to go get the bag, free Brittany Griner. Uh... I feel like in this vacuum, this is a perfect opportunity for Messi to 
you know, be drunk out there on the pitch every now and then, or have a good time in Miami uh, at at uh, at was it live live? Is that what's live. the name of it? Oh my god, live. Brandon, yes. are you that are you that steeped in dad culture now that you just don't yes. even know live? I was I was so proud to ask that question. I was so proud to not know the answer to that question. But yes, I think it now is the time for him to just kind of let his hair down. Hell, let it grow like Aaron Rodgers and and just just pack the stands. Have a bagel or two. But what are you acting like he's never had bagels before? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I know in Miami, yeah. there's probably plenty Me- of bagels. Messi, enjoy Miami's famous bagels while you're in town, <laughs> potentially playing for Inter. So again, he's denied it. His agent, well, his agents denied it on his behalf. We'll see. This clearly seems like the door's left open for yet another instance of what we've seen as the tried and true MLS formula so far. Brandon, let's finish this off with the third, though, because this is the one that actually applies most to us. Yeah. ESPN and ABC put out the slate of their big ABC primetime games, some of them coming up for college football season, and at the same time announced the site of college game day for week one. That game will be in Columbus, Ohio, where the Notre Dame Fighting Irish will be heading to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. And... Brandon, it is very exciting that College Game Day will be covering our alma mater. It will be the first regular season game for new head coach Marcus uh, Freeman. I'm not super excited for this one because I think Ohio State is going to win. (laughs) I know. I can't believe that you have that opinion. I learned this from our very own Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. when we were in Vegas together for the NFL draft. We were having some uh, hangover breakfast and getting hydrated. And who comes into the restaurant to, to have uh, breakfast right where we are? Ryan Day, head coach of the Ohio State Buck Ooze. So I, with this game in mind, told Mike, hey, I think I'm going to go over and say something to him. I'm going to tell him that Marcus Freeman ain't scared of him. And Marcus Freeman ain't scared of his alma mater. And he's going to get Notre Dame the first win over Ohio State since 1930. Like I, I, I wanted to go over there and talk mess, and you was like, for one, don't do that. For two, we're going to lose embarrassingly. I didn't say embarrassingly. Now, I think that it is a strength <laughs> on weakness because we know Notre Dame secondary struggled some last year, has traditionally been an area we have trouble recruiting high-end prospects at, and Ohio State just happens to have a quarterback that's going to be in contention for the top overall pick, and a wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba, who last time on Dragon Ball C, we saw going out and absolutely toe-tagging the entire Utah defense in the Rose Bowl, who might be better than the two wide receivers from his alma mater that just went in the first round. That's, That's the thing that I'm worried about in this equation for week one. Like the first rattle out of the box week one is why I am nervous about that in Columbus. I think Notre Dame is going to be a very good team, but I have encouraged fans to guard expectations. Marcus Freeman is still going to be a first-time head coach. There is going Mm -hmm. to be growth involved in all of this, and just coming out and expecting national championship out the gate is not going to be a bar that helps any of us be happy. I I will say this, though. It is week one, and with that week one – win or loss, you can kind of come away from the game not feeling too bad about anything. 
well, right? There's a bunch of embarrassing losses that happen week one. Teams are figuring it out. And like week one for college football is like the first four weeks for the NFL. It's like those games are just really just practice. It's 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 a great test right out of the gate. I <laughs> a great test. Well, I mean, you're going to go up against the best team that you'll see all year, probably right out of the gate on this season. So I, I don't know. I'm going to be fascinated to watch. I think Notre Dame in the trenches is going to be extremely competitive. We saw Ohio State's defense struggle so much last year that they brought in Oklahoma State's D coordinator, a defense that Notre Dame saw in the Fiesta Bowl this past season to help shore mm. things up. But Harry, he stands back coaching the offensive line, so Notre Dame's going to be great on that front once more, I have no doubt. Defensively, they've been a pretty tried-and-true product, and between Marcus and Al Golden, we saw that was a ferocious unit for large portions of last year. It really just is, can the back end of Notre Dame's defense that now doesn't have Kyle Hamilton patrolling the field anymore either hold up against a right. passing attack that was one of the best in college football last year? That would that's okay. that's my chief concern and my way too early breakdown of a game that's not going to happen for like two and a half two more months three more months. I love it and I and I, and when we get closer to it, I hope you say the exact same things. So the other two games in like week zero, week one in college football that are kicking off is Oregon versus Georgia in Atlanta at the Mercedes Benz Stadium, and then you got which is one I'm really look looking forward to. Our old head coach, Brian Kelly, LSU versus Florida State. Yeah, that was the other interesting part of the ABC matchups is Florida State has two mentions on this list because they go further into the year. And Florida at Florida State in November is a primetime ABC game that they'll be talking about then. And as was pointed out to me last year, Florida State on the standalone uh, Labor Day weekend game against Notre Dame was a pretty solid draw and a pretty compelling game. So you got interesting out of that. But uh, yeah, pretty big bet on that one. And obviously, night game in Baton Rouge for Brian Kelly's home opener in LSU colors is going to be wild. There's going to be a ton of speculation and a ton of... You want to talk about you know, not jumping to conclusions too early. People are going to be ready and raring in the deepest of squats to jump to conclusions based off what happens there, good or bad. And it won't be fair, but we know that's the case based on what's gone on this offseason, based on the standard around there at LSU. We know that's what's going to happen. He's going to lose, but um, it's going to be... I'm, I'm, I'm not rooting for Brian Kelly to lose these games. I'm not, because we have a lot of people... I know I do have a lot of people that I care about that are on that football staff uh, that are trying to help them win ball games. Uh, just, I just, I just, that just, that just, that just smells like a loss. I mean, I'm not ready to call that one yet, but I know college football giving us a hit of the good stuff sitting here in the middle of May is mm. just what the doctor ordered. It felt good. We dusted off the cobwebs, got a little college football talk in here. We'll get to put it on the shelf for a while as we really hit the dog days of summer with that sport. But it keeps going around here five days a week, Monday through Friday. If you like what you're hearing and you've stuck around this long, remember, download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, unsubscribe, resubscribe, leave us comments or questions in the reviews we're probably going to do a mailbag episode on friday with my dad like i teased yesterday if you leave a question in the reviews it's getting answered 
period, end of sentence. Unless it's like wildly inappropriate or messed up, but I'm trusting you guys because you seem like good people. So five stars, leave the question in there. We will go to those first and foremost in the mailbag before we get to anything else. Thanks as always. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.